please visit Unfound's merchandise store at unfound-podcast.myspreadshop.com. On this episode, I examine the disappearance of Emanuela Orlandi. I update everyone on the unique Harris trial. I talk about the Titanic again, and I cover a bunch of other stuff, including my dislike of punk rock. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for June 26th, 2023. Why, yes, YouTube, I would love to go live right now. How is everybody doing? Good to see all of you. I know we're going to have a great show tonight. Everybody's coming into the chat. Of course, uh, I put some links in there. Hopefully, everybody will check those out maybe. As you are watching and listening tonight, of course, anybody who is in a vehicle driving or anyone... Just listen. You don't have to look at the screen. Okay. Even though I did my hair up real nice tonight. So, uh, yeah, if you're in a vehicle and you're uh, going somewhere, do not feel like you need to uh, watch the screen. For the rest of you, yeah, you can keep your eyes on the screen. Of course, all of you who are uh, catching this as a podcast – And if you are not yet a subscriber to this particular podcast, Unfound Live, please go to the app that you use and subscribe. Please do that. It's uh, Unfound Live is at all of the same places that Unfound is. And it usually comes out uh, around 1 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday afternoons. Just depends when I can get to it. I'm not as stringent as strict on that as I am on the podcast uh, coming on on Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, just so you know. But yes, this live show is a podcast. I turn it into a podcast. After this live show is done, I download the video from YouTube, separate the video from the audio, and that's how the podcast gets made. So really appreciate If you could do that, even if you uh, watch on Monday nights like you are doing right now. Uh, As usual, I have uh, brought a a cornucopia, a potpourri, a smorgasbord, a buffet of a lot of uh, stories here tonight. I do not believe I will get to all of them. I always like to be overprepared. I always like to make sure I bring more information that I think that I'm going to need for these two hours, um, just how I am. So that, that means I don't worry as much about such things. So, um, we're going to uh, do this and I, it's the fastest two hours in unfound live shows. So let's see who's in here and I will get into some, uh, a couple personal things, funny things. And then I have, like I said, a lot of true crime news, unfound news. I got a trial to talk about. And before we're all done tonight, I have at least one question that I'm going to answer. And once again, if any of you 
If any of you have any questions you'd like to ask me, true crime related or not, please put it in the chat. Maybe you even want to uh, use the super chat button down there, the little square with the uh, dollar sign in it, and you can contribute while you are watching uh, tonight. That would be cool. So let's see who's in here, and we'll get on with this. Good day, Karen. Well, good day to you. Hello, Charlotte. Hello, nephew Charles. Mark, what's going on? Lisa, Deborah, Kathy, Barbara. Hello, Suzanne. Sheree, thank you for moderating tonight. Marty, good to see you. Got your message over Patreon. Thank you. And um, there you go. And then Sharon coming in with a little purple circle with the S in the middle. Look at that. Is that purple? I think it's mostly purple. Okay. And uh, remind all of you, please, as you are watching tonight, please hit the thumbs up button. Give this, um, give this live show a nice thumbs up approval. I think we're going to probably, of course, uh, we keep continuing to gain subscribers to this channel. I think it's a good chance that we'll get over um, 17,000 subscribers before the end of the year. Pretty sure. Maybe not, but it's going to be close. That would be pretty cool. So we're great. uh, Gently, I should say, working our way toward that. Maybe some things will happen that will up the subscription rate a little bit more. Uh, faster than it is, but um, if we continue at this rate, 17,000 is a pretty good goal for the end of uh, 2023. DLV says, impressed by your especially good hair today. Oh, behave, DLV. Behave. Thank you very much. I did have to take a shower. I went out and threw the discs this evening. And uh, the way it goes is anytime that I'm going to be on screen, for example, this live show or any Zoom interviews that I do, anything like that, uh, or maybe recording on, you know, unfound now or whatever, um, my hair has to be dry. I have to shower probably a couple hours before I'm due to go on camera to give my hair time to dry because I do not use a hair dryer. So... Yeah, this is uh, probably right after it got dry is when I turned the camera on tonight for this live show. So thank you, DLV. Thank you for contributing. Thank you for the compliment. Deeply appreciated. Thank you very much. Crystal, thank you. Nice of you to say. Patty, what's going on? Twinkle. Good to see you, Twinkle. All right. And once again, everybody, uh, if you've not yet given the video yet a thumbs up tonight, this live show, please do. Um, What's uh, some of the things just going on with me since you saw me last Monday night? Um, Went to see a concert on Saturday night with my buddy Dana. And we met at a wing house and it's gotten to the point, you know, I can't cook my own wings. I can eat chicken wings now and tell exactly how they cooked them, how long they cooked them, uh, the exact ingredients of the sauce and everything else. Okay. It's, I've just eaten so many. I've made so many of my own wings here at home, both with regular cooking oil and in the air fryer. It's just... Uh, my taste buds 
are so right on it now. Winghouse wings are not great. They're not bad, but they're not great. The real problem with them is that they're, the skins, because I usually just I get them without the breading. I always eat. I never eat chicken wings with breading. Never. And the skins are just kind of soft, which tells me that they're probably air frying them. They're not putting them in oil. You put them in oil and you cook them. Of course, they'd be going through a ton of oil there. But um, as I discovered using an air fryer, you just cannot make the skin of the, the chicken wing as crisp as you can by using cooking oil. And what happens as I could taste those wings on Saturday evening is one of the ways the places that cook wings air frying them that they try to make up for that is they use too much. What is it, Charlie? Not baking soda, but baking powder. Remember, I made that mistake months ago. They use, a, they use baking powder and I can taste it. Eating the wings. The wings are generally fine. But given I've become like a wine connoisseur, I've become a connoisseur of chicken wings, you can taste it. And it was just weird sitting there eating them. And they were fine, but I'm thinking, I know how they cook these. I know why these don't taste as good as the ones that I make at home. And here's what they're doing. It's so weird. Never did I think that I would get uh, to this point in my life where I could eat something and be able to tell exactly how it was cooked, what's wrong with it, and everything else. But so they were there. It was great. Still had a great time uh, being there, seeing Dana. And um, Charlie says, yep, baking powder. Okay, in contrast to baking soda that we had that joke about several uh, months ago, Charles. Um, And then Charles also saying, or cornstarch too. Okay, very good. Thank you. Uh, Then we went to the concert. And I, I... Megadeth was spectacular. Granted, Dave Mustaine, you know, pretty average singer. Of course, he's always been a pretty average singer. He's not Bruce Dickinson. He's not Rob Elford. But given the, but seriously, Megadeth is the tightest band I think I've ever heard. You know, I'm a, a huge Iron Maiden fan, but I can tell you, just crazy, crazy how precise they play. Now, on the other hand, and I, they and they weren't even the headliner. They played like what eight songs, and um, and it was great over there. And it only cost twenty bucks for the entire concert. Now, the issue though is be, be, the before them and after them. Before them was a punk uh, group called Fear, which has been around since the seventies. Their lead singer is 73 years old and some of you might even know him he was uh he was a he was an actor who was in the movie clue he was one of the victims in the movie clue he played the guy with the last name body b o d d y that's the lead singer of fear his name is lee ving yes really lee l e e ving v i n g and so they opened up and then it was Megadeth. And then it was the Misfits. And I just kind of reestablished my dislike or never really getting into punk rock. I know a lot of people, they mean that punk rock is not hard rock. It's not heavy metal. It's just, 
And I always come away, it doesn't matter if it's the Misfits or Fear or the Ramones or Sex Pistols or any of those really well-known punk groups that have been out, you know, you know, since the 70s or whenever. Doesn't matter what era or what decade. Every time I hear a punk rock group, I'm like, I just feel like I could go out in the street, pick four random people, give two of them guitars, have one of them sing, have one of them play the drums a little bit. And in a month, I could get four random people off the street to sound the same as these punk rock groups do. And you should know, even with the Misfits, I don't mind Glenn Danzig. Glenn Danzig is a fantastic singer. Fantastic. But just overall, uh, it just doesn't do it for me. It's just in that concert, and I we did not stay till the end of Misfits, or you know, because Dane is really not into that either. We're Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Iron Maiden guys. And it's just a different form of music. And um, that was about all we could take. Uh, We heard Misfits play Where Eagles Dare, which is like the one song that is kind of good by them. And we're like, I'm like, you know what, Dan? You know, I'm I'm good to go now if you want to go. And we just took off. Because we essentially got to see Megadeth for 20 bucks, which is a fantastic deal. And, um, but the place was absolutely packed. I've been to several concerts over there. At the amphitheater, I uh, I've seen Kiss there twice. Once with Def Leppard, I saw Def Leppard there with Styx and Tesla. Although Tesla didn't play because it was lightning out, and so it's an outside venue, and Tesla didn't get to play. So I've seen some concert there. This one was the most packed. I mean, it was crazy, crazy full. And I think it was because of the prices were so low. It was because the original Misfits were together, which really doesn't mean anything to me. And plus, it was a, it, you know, it was a great deal for what you're getting. Even if you don't like, as me, don't really care for punk rock, just seeing Megadeth play eight songs live for 20 bucks in a fantastic venue like that is worth it. So it was absolutely packed. And, um, but I just come away with, you know, from punk rock, even though I love the song mother by Danzig, when Glenn Danzig went off by himself and it, and really he kind of did go more in that like heavy metal direction, but I am just not into punk rock at all. It just doesn't feel to me like, I gotta be honest. It does, doesn't sound to me like professional music. You can't even compare the musicianship and the songwriting skills and everything else between Megadeth and either of those bands. You just can't. And maybe it's because I'm a musician, so the musicianship maybe matters more to me than the average person who has never played the piano or the guitar, you know, or anything else. That could very well could be. But I was just like, I just, you know, I gave it a chance. Uh, we were there. We heard Fear's entire set. Megadeth came on. There was like five or six songs from Misfits, and that's about all Dana and I could take. So there's that. 
Uh, Marty says baking powder on wings is a must. It is not a must. Not the way I cook them, Marty. Not in the oil. You just don't put baking powder on them, and they are fantastic without the baking powder. Marty, Megadeth is awesome in concert. Got to be the best opening band. Still in shock they were the, weren't the opener. Yeah. Hello, Miranda. What's going on? Marty says, how oh, that's a point of punk rock. That's not real musicians. Basic chords played really fast. And Marty says, Mother is a great song. Yes, uh, Mother is a song I'm inspire- aspiring to sing one of these days at karaoke. But it's, it's, it's tough. That's why I said Glenn Danzig is a fantastic singer. You just can't go up to the microphone and sing that. Um, of course, the other joke about punk rock that Dana made is that it's, or as I made, I said, punk rock is like the Twitter of music. Each song is only about a minute and 50 seconds long. Now, of course, me being an Iron Maiden guy, I'm used to six minutes, seven minute, eight minute songs. And even Megadeth songs are, you know, four, five, six minutes. Uh, you know, in that time, Misfits or Fear could play six songs in eight minutes or something. It's just, it's just so weird and, and and I don't know. Like I said, I just always get the feeling I get four random people. doesn't even matter their ages, their backgrounds, or anything else. We work together for a month. We'll probably sound like a pretty good punk rock group. So there you go. But it was fantastic. Uh, that's off my bucket list, uh, seeing Megadeth. But I would love to see them... Uh, again, when they are the headliner, where they play more songs and, and everything else, but they're it's just so good. It's just, it's disgusting how good they are. In you know, it's just crazy, crazy. And I'm a big Dave Mustaine fan. I know he's a little known of being a little bit of an a hole, and you know, dumping people. You know, just always looking for another guitarist, and you know. Total respect for that guy. What he had to put up with, getting kicked out of Metallica, and you know he had his addictions and all those things. Being able to overcome all of that to be an absolute icon, all respect to him. Um, Marty says, "Yeah, yes. The faster the song, the better." When it comes to punk, their whole set have probably lasted thirty minutes. Yeah, uh, Marty, I think Misfits played like twenty six songs in like an hour and a half or something. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I, I, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, you know, the set list online, I think they did 25 songs in an hour and a half. That's crazy. All right, enough about that. But it was a great time. And my next concert is going to be in Ingve Malmsteen. He's opening for Glenn Hughes. And Glenn Hughes is playing a bunch of Deep Purple stuff. I'm a huge Glenn Hughes fan. So there you go. Uh, moving on. I'm actually going to be going to Pennsylvania. And the um, going to be leaving here July 19th, which is a Wednesday. And I'll be coming back on August 2nd, the day after my birthday. So I'll be up there to see my dad for a couple weeks, probably see my brother Michael, see my sister Diane, Charlie's mother Diane. And I actually am scheduled to play a disc golf tournament when I'm up there as well. There's going to be a one-day disc golf tournament at Moraine State Park, which is only 20 minutes away from where my dad lives. I've played that course many times. Funny how that worked out. It almost as if I planned it. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. 
And so I'll be taking my discs with me. I'm going to fly. I think I'm going to have to ship my discs up, though, I think. So I'm going to be up there in Pennsylvania. Probably see my buddy Brad while I'm there. And who else, you know, you know, who knows what else I'll get into. But the podcast should continue as usual. And I do plan to do live shows when I'm up there as well. So once again, I'm going to Pennsylvania July 19th to August 2nd and I'm flying. I'm not driving, going to fly, which is nice. And then the final personal thing, this just happened this evening is that I was overthrowing over here, uh, throwing the disc, doing a little practicing because I have a one round tournament this weekend down at Maximo. A woman was walking her goats Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline in the park not on leashes they're very well behaved there were three of them kind of of different sizes you know they had their little horns and everything and they were just walking right along with her that is the first time i've ever seen that i took a video of it if you are friends with me on facebook for my personal page you can check the video out and i made a little joke about it i'm not going to tell you what it is you'll have to go see uh what i had to say about that but but so cool they were just walking right along the path with her and um, beautiful, just beautiful, beautiful animals. Just so, just so cool. And they were like, like I said, there was like a large one, a medium sized one and a small one. And I said, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. Yeah, it was really cute. She thanked me. And they were just walking on the path, just walking with her. As if they were on leashes, but they weren't. It's just so well behaved. They're just looking around, and that was pretty, pretty good. Marty says, goats, mimes, what's next? You never can. Totally different park, Marty, but you're right. It is funny, Charlotte. Lori says, ah, Twinkle says, goats are so cute. They are. Especially little ones when they're, like, jumping around and everything. All right, so those are just some of the things that have gone on uh, since last Wednesday. Also did a little uh, soccer watching of the U.S. Um, did really well. They won that one tournament, and then they tied uh, Jamaica this past weekend with like their like, second or third string players. So I've been getting a little into that, even though I'm not a huge soccer fan. But I am a huge fan of my country. And if my country is participating in sports, Olympics, or whatever, I do root for them. And yes, I will be watching the Women's World Cup as well. All right, moving on to unfound stuff. Lori says the video is on Facebook. Yes, my personal page, not on any un, not on the unfound page or in the discussion group, Lori, but my personal Edward Denzel Facebook page. I took a video of it of the 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 goats. Yes, I did, and and had a little funny commentary that went on with it as well. If you, uh, Lori, I don't know if we're friends on Facebook or not, but it's there. Uh, first thing I have to start out with for uh, Unfound Related is I hope all of you will 
send out uh, thoughts and prayers if you believe in such things or whatever belief system you have or just kind words. That former guest of the program, Stormy uh, Dorsey, uh, going way back to the first year of Unfound, she had been on and did an interview uh, talking about the disappearance of her brother, Brandon Williams, who went missing during a bus trip from Utah to coincidentally to Florida. And it is believed that he got off the bus in Tennessee and Nashville and never got back on. That's as best as can be told at this time. Well, um, is some of you, I know some of you know that Stormy has struggled with uh, brain cancer uh, for the last couple of years. Well, she's has to be going, she has to go in for another operation, I think tomorrow or Wednesday. So uh, please keep her uh, in mind. If you are friends with her, and I'm not speaking out of school. She's very public uh, about this. She's been posting about this. So I'm not telling anything out of school. Um, if you are friends with her, if you know her, uh, if you're friends with her on Facebook, you know, it, it might be nice if you could take a few seconds, a minute, a couple minutes and um, write her a note or set, post something on her page or anything like that. She's been through so much. She lost her mother. First, she uh, uh, fainted and had these seizures, was diagnosed with brain cancer, got taken care of. Her mother died of cancer. She's had, you know, of course, she lost her brother due to a disappearance. She's had a lot, a lot of things go on with her. And so please, uh, if you know her or you're friends with her or whatever it takes, um, you know, send her a message that uh, you're you're hoping for the best for Stormy. I like uh, Stormy a lot, and I did uh, have a, me a messenger exchange with her uh, yesterday when I saw, which or maybe the day before, when uh, she had posted about what's going on. So please, uh, hey Vegas girl, how are you doing? Good to see you. Hello to you as well. Shree, thinking about you, Stormy, Kathy, prayers, Twinkle prayers, uh, Suzanne, thank all of you. Yes. And for some of you, maybe if you're new, newer to Unfound, maybe it would be a good time if you've not gone back and um, listened. Hold on one second. I was looking there and I was like, why is my battery going down on my MacBook? And it's because the MacBook wasn't plugged in. Okay. Um, if you're new to Unfound and you've not gone back and maybe listened to a lot of the old episodes from like 2016, 2017, maybe this week might be the time to go back and find that interview that I did with Stormy uh, regarding her brother, Brandon. Maybe this is a good week to do that. So maybe even if you're kind of going in a line starting at the beginning or people do it all sorts of different ways. Might be good to maybe put that move that one uh, right up there to the the top of the pile or the front of the line or however you want to put it, whatever cliche, and uh, listen to the interview that I did with her back in 2017. So there you go. Thank you, Marty. So that's I, I wanted to talk about that once again. Stormy Dorsey likes Stormy so much. She's so cool. Such a fantastic person. And just cannot believe what has gone on. 
you know, in her life in the last, you know, few years, just so, so tough. All right, moving on. Uh, the Mara Murray poll. Uh, of course, this past Friday, it was a two-parter. I think you could see why I made it a two-parter because the interview itself went for three hours uh, until it's a little, uh, 20 minutes or something like that. And then, of course, I had a lot to say myself more than probably usual. And so I thought that it was well worth it to split it into two parts. And so I think part, you know, they, they were really close, I think, in length. I tried to make them as close in length as I could. I didn't want to make one like two hours and then the other one 45 minutes or something. So they're very close. And I thought that I cut the first part of the, the interview off at a really good spot that kind of set up the second spot. I tried to do that in a way that kind of makes sense. I didn't just, you know, just randomly chop it in half. I tried to pick out a spot where I thought it made sense. But as with every other disappearance uh, that we've covered on Unfound since the discussion group got started in November, December of uh, 2016, I put a poll in there and it was very simple. What do you think happened to Mara Murray? Variety of choices that she got picked up and was murdered, that she ran off and started a new life, that... Uh, she ran off and died in the woods due to exposure, like the harsh elements, or she committed suicide. And this is a poll that started out, when the polling started, her being abducted and murdered uh, was far ahead. But now, as I come to the microphone for this live show, let's see, it's it's really, really close. Um Let's see where we got here. Okay. 48% was picked up and murdered. 4% was walked to someone's house and murdered. 4% was walked off and started a new life. 1% was walked off and committed suicide. But 43%, so 48% was picked up and murdered. 43% was walked off and died due to the harsh conditions slash injury of some type. Very very close. Not surprised. Not surprised at all. So the discussion group, although technically, even though it was close, was picked up and murdered, is right now as doing this live show is the number one choice. And you should know that those polls continue to be in the discussion group. If if you're a member of the discussion group, if you go way, way, way down the list, you can find all the, the past polls. If you want to vote, you can do that. You can do that so we can get as accurate a representation of what the audience thinks going back several years. So in the discussion group, the number one choice by just a little bit was abducted, abducted and murdered. And then on the think tank, of course, I talk about the think tank every week, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. If you'd like to be part of the think tank, some of the people who are in the think tank, uh, Charlotte, who are in the chat tonight, Charlotte, Twinkle, Kathy, Marty, to name uh, just a few. I'm sure they have nothing but good things to say about uh, the think tank. We have great discussions there, very in-depth, very private. Everybody gets to have their opinions heard. We, I, I try to bring a very diverse group of 
questions or points to ponder that I, I call them that everybody can uh, give their opinions on. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. And at the end, everybody gets to voice their own opinion as what as to what they think happened. And a lot of what we talk about there eventually goes back to the guests. So I can give the guests feedback about what the audience heard. That's why we do it. So if you'd like to be a part of the think tank, please sign up at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And you must subscribe at the $12 a month level or above, but I'm going to tell you everybody who is uh, signed up believes it's worth it. We have a great time there. It's like a little club there and it happens every Sunday evening at 7 PM. Although this one was at 6 PM because I wanted to make sure that we covered everything with Mars disappearance had a lot to cover. So in the think tank though, it was exactly the opposite. Overwhelmingly, the think tank members thought that um, that she ran off and died either due to the elements or an injury. And it's very common. It's very common for the discussion group to think foul play and the think tank to go the exact opposite direction. Very common. And then for me, the blog that I write, once again, at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And it only takes $2 a month. That's it. For you to get my uh, inner thoughts uh, about any particular disappearance, I always write at least 3,000 words in the blog. I also do an audio version. If you just like to listen, that's fine too. And I also decided that she ran off, and that is not new. That is something that I've believed for years and years and years, even well before um, I ever started Unfound, well before that. Um, you know, the way my thinking was, is that, although, you know, I talk about a lot of other things in the, the discussion is that she obviously wanted to cover this trip up, meaning she obviously was coming back. There's no reason to make up all these lies if she wasn't coming back. No reason. So I agree with her sister, Julie. Yep, absolutely. She was coming back. But she had a lot of things going on. And so then I start calculating what are the odds that someone then came along to pick her up. Going through all of this, she's planning on going somewhere. She gets in a wreck and just somebody in those very precise minutes comes along and she decides to get in a car with somebody. Or, you know, and and the way I think about Mars, she would be too smart to be forced into something like that. So... I'm not saying it's not physically possible. It's just I can't go in that direction. I, I continue to believe the reason so many people pick the abduction scenario is because all the searches never found her and because there were no footprints. But those things can be explained away easily. And in fact, in many other disappearances like Jason Landry and others, a lot of searches are done and people aren't found, like Brandon Lawson. A search did eventually find him, but all the other searches didn't, but it turned out he really wasn't that far away from his truck at all. This is kind of the way I think about Mars. Easy for me to talk, but that's my reasoning. Um, Let's see. uh, Brandon Williams. um, Yes, Brandon Williams is the disappearance. Anybody who wants to check out the interview that I did with Stormy Dorsey. Charlotte says the think tank is great. Twinkle also says the think tank is great. We're respectful for everyone's opinion. Marty, the think tank rocks. And Marty's like one of the newest members. 
and uh, saying very positive things. So I don't know what else to tell you, everybody. You should think about doing that, and it, it supports uh, Unfounded in a very meaningful way, and it's just not something frivolous. The work we do in the think tank, uh, the talking these things out is then taken back to the guest of whatever episode we're talking about, whatever disappearance we're talking about. So moving on, one more Marmory uh, point. Um, it was kind of brought up last week in, in the chat. And so now um, I think that I can talk about this uh, a little bit more. It came up during the live show last week. Somebody had said, you know, I thought you were never going to cover Mars' disappearance, feature Mars' disappearance. And I will admit that that was something that I said very early on in Unfound's existence. Okay, that is something that I said. But I will tell you why I said that. First of all, you have to understand something. And I say this with all honesty. I'm not saying this just to be overtly modest or anything else. I'm telling this from the bottom, bottom of my heart. I had no idea that Unfound would even be around seven years after I started. All right, just, just be honest about that. I had no idea that we would get – we're very, getting very close to disappearance number 300, if you can believe it. No way I could have ever expected that or predicted that back in September of 2016. Never. I never could have predicted that Unfound would be on 48 Hours Twice. I never could have predicted that I'd be going to schools and talking to criminal justice majors about – you know, there's so many things that have happened over the past seven years that I could have never predicted. And one of the things about Maura Murray's disappearance is that it is very intricate. There is a lot of information. A lot of people have covered a disappearance, many of them not doing a very good job, and a few people doing a good job. And so when you cover a disappearance like that, there are a lot of eyes and ears on you. And back then at the time, 2016, 2017, First of all, I didn't know if I was ever going to be around long enough to get to her disappearance. And in addition, I didn't know if I was ever going to get to the point where I felt I was qualified enough to cover her disappearance. All right, because we're going to do it. We got to do it right. We got to do it thorough. We have to do a good job on it. And when you have a disappearance like hers that has been covered so many times, Like I said, there is a little bit of pressure there. And it, there was something about here in 2023 that I thought, you know what? I think that I am personally ready to do that. I've done, a, I've covered a lot of complex disappearances, talked to a lot of people, um, talked to presumably a murderer in Steve Pankey, uh, you know, all of this. And I just thought it was time. So when I said that back in 2016, 2017, I could have never imagined what would be going on now. And so that's why I ended up emailing Mar Murray's website. Julie got back to me, and that's how this, this all happened. But as with her disappearance, covered it just like any other. There was no rumorizing. There was no conjecturing. We stuck to the facts. We kept all of the, the, the mob out of it and all of the things that have gone on over the years. 
for example, just like we did with Brian Shavers, there's a lot of craziness that goes along with Brian Shavers' disappearance. So when Kelly um, was on uh, a few years ago uh, as an expert on Brian's disappearance, we kept all that out of that too. Covered that disappearance just as if it was any other. We covered Mara's disappearance as if it was any other. I think the problem has been that so many people have featured her disappearance as if it's unique. Now, every missing person is unique, certainly. And that's why we talk so much about we get to try to know these missing people as best as we can, even though none of us knew that person. But the circumstances, as we all know now, if you've been listening to Unfound for a long time, we realize they're not really that unique. People abandoning cars all the time. Whether you believe she was picked up or not or ran off or whatever else, missing people's cars being abandoned is pretty common. Pretty common. Now, maybe not two hours away like Mara was from where she was going to school, but still. And, of course, the issue has been so many people have covered her disappearance. They just don't have an appreciation for disappearances as a whole. And when you don't have that, everything you encounter is something strange. It's suspicious because they don't know that it's happened like a hundred other times or a thousand times before Mara ever went missing in 2004. That's, that's why I think a lot of this stuff happens because people don't, the people who do this don't know disappearances. Then suddenly everything becomes strange or like, you know, um, what was the line that Stevie Wonder said? Uh, when you believe in things you can't understand, then you suffer super, you, you see superstition everywhere. This is kind of how I feel about most of the people who've covered Mars disappearance over the years. They don't know what they're looking at. So it just becomes this outrageous, overtly mysterious disappearance and we can certainly debate on what the theory should be, but in the end, when you look at it, there's a lot of people who went missing just like Maura Murray did. You know, and as I listed, I listed just a few of them in my summation after part two. I, I could have named 20, I could have named 30 of them that we've just covered on Unfound, and I've only covered about 300 disappearances. There are 23,000 disappearances on NamUs. So how many of those do you think are of people who drove off, wrecked a car, and ran off? Many. Or, you know, or weren't there, let's just say, weren't there when police or somebody else showed up. We'll just keep it simple. Many. Why they don't get the coverage that Mara has, it's still something that is up. For, it's, it's a great debate. It's a great thought process. And even as a person of the media, uh, I, I have some explanations, but I realize even at this point, I don't have all the answers either. So there you go. So if you're, you know, if anybody's thinking, did Ed, you know, contradict himself? Did he become a hypocrite or anything else? Not at all. Not at all. That is my reasoning on why I finally reached out and covered Mars disappearance like any other. I finally thought, you know what? Didn't think I'd get to this point, but I think I am. I think I'm ready to to talk to uh, the Murray family. And uh, I think the response has been very good. I think that, uh, you know, not, of course I'm biased, but I think it's probably the best interview that anybody in the Mar family 
the Murray family has ever done. But that's what we try to aspire to here. All right, moving on. Some more unfound news. And that has to do with the disappearance, it's still a disappearance, unfortunately, of Unique Harris. This is a disappearance that unfound featured, I'm going to say, um, late November, December of 2020, I'm thinking. And I know that uh, Unfound Historian Kathy, who I know is in the group, is going to go back and check exactly when that that episode was. But you don't have to, Kathy, if you're busy, but I know you like to do such things. But um, Unique's mother, uh, Valencia, was the guest. And this is uh, the 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 only disappearance that we've covered in the in Washington, D.C. And to remind all of you, Unique, uh, mother of two, but she was also babysitting uh, like a nephew or, or a niece. So she had three children there that night. And when a family member came over the next morning, the kids were there. Unique was gone. And this happened in 2010, and it's been a mystery ever since. Well, uh, maybe just four or five months after that episode came out, uh, a man was charged with Unique's murder. His name is Isaac Moy, M-O-Y-E. And, and as you know, listening to the update episodes, I've talked about um, this uh, unique uh, disappearance has been the topic of a couple, a couple update episodes. Well, the trial happened last week, and he was found guilty. And so I'm going to read this article, and certainly some things came out during this that uh, – were a surprise, and, and dare I say, what we quickly found out after Isaac Moy was charged way, going way back, safe to say that Valencia in her interview with me uh, held some things back. So allow me to read this article. The mother of Unique Harris handed out flyers with her daughter's photo for years, hoping for a miracle after, tw- after the 24-year-old disappeared from her D.C. home over a decade ago. A man was convicted on Friday, this past Friday, of killing her, though her body has never been found. Isaac Moy was found guilty of second-degree murder after jurors began deliberating late Wednesday afternoon. Harris' mother, Valencia Harris, grinned and whooped with joy as she left court. All I could think was, thank you, Jesus, thank you, God, thank you, Lord, she told News 4. There are no words to sum up having to turn a predator into my prey because I told him, you made my daughter your prey and now you are mine. And I meant every word then and I still mean it now. So here we go. Guilty, guilty, Valencia Harris Harris said. In October 2010, Harris disappeared from her new apartment in the 2400 block of Hartford Street, Southeast. Her family said she would never leave, left her two children. Actually, three children there. The family feared she had been harmed when they saw that her glasses were left behind. She was legally blind without them, I guess. One of Harris's sons, then 11 years old, said in 2016 that he remembered his mother putting him to bed the night she disappeared. The last thing I remember from her was telling me good night. Let me check something very quickly. It was uh, good night and that everything was going to be okay, he said. Prosecutors out, laid out a circumstantial case against Moy. He was an acquaintance of Harris and had been wearing a GPS ankle bracelet that placed him in her apartment for hours before she disappeared. This was not something that came out in that episode. 
He went to a wooded area in D.C. after leaving her home. Prosecutors said Harris spent hours on the phone with her boyfriend in front of Moy and that Moy was jealous. Remember, we talked about in the episode how that night she was talking to her boyfriend who was over doing some work, I think, in Virginia or West Virginia. Uh, Isaac meant to punish her for not choosing him. She paid uh, with her life, a, a lawyer said. Uh, Kathy, what did you ask me to do? I had to prepare the dog's meal. And that's unique Harris covered on September 18th, 2020. All right, so a little uh, earlier than I thought it was tw- uh, September. Here I was thinking it was November, December. Thank you. So the Harris episode, unique Harris episode came out on September 18th, 2020, if anybody wants to go back and listen to it, or if you haven't listened to it yet. He meant to punish her for, and thank you, Kathy, for going back and checking that. Thank you. She paid with her life, a lawyer said. A former cellmate of Moy's told authorities that Moy had told him about a missing girl. He reportedly said officials would never find her because he did it, quote unquote, the right way. Moy's defense attorney argued that prosecutors did not prove Moy was involved in Harris's disappearance and did not present any evidence on how she may have been killed. The lawyer said police botched the investigation and failed to look into other possible suspects or gather critical evidence such as cell phone records. He argued police arrested the wrong man. Moy was arrested in December 2020, so that's where I got that. So just two months or three months after Unfiled covered the disappearance, Moy was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. Derek Butler was in court supporting the family earlier this month. The body of his sister Pam Butler was never found, but prosecutors were successful in getting a conviction. These guys are people that's doing these things, have gotten their heads, no body, no case, no body, no evidence. Well, D.C. is leading the pack and taking people to court when they don't have bodies, he said. In October, a man was convicted in the disappearance of Olga Oro, who vanished in her, from her D.C. apartment in July 2020. Her body has never been found. All right, so Isaac Moy going to jail. This is an update episode. Uh, this has been in the update episode. We were always looking for that trial. When is that trial going to happen? It finally did. It seems to have gone fairly quickly, and now it is concluded. Isaac is going to jail for the murder of Unique Harris. But to remind all of you, she is miss, still missing. So, um, like I said, Valencia, as it turned out after the fact, when Isaac was finally charged in December 2020, that's when I found out that she had withheld a couple of things and it had to do with, there was some forensics of blood or something on the couch, which was not discussed. And there was something else uh, that I can't remember right now that surely Valencia knew at the time of the interview, but that she held back on something else that would have certainly pointed to the idea that certainly some guy was in that apartment that night. Whereas I think, I mean, that certainly was a possibility for a disappearance, but I think coming away from the episode that people might've been thinking, well, maybe she stepped out for a little bit, went for a walk and met somebody, or it was a stranger or something like that. After this information came out in December, 2020, it became obvious that somebody did come over. It was somebody that unique knew and something happened. Now here are some points, uh, from that article now that this has been concluded, although unique is still missing some of the points that stick out to me, Isaac and unique knew each other. Somehow this was not 
a stranger on stranger crime. Very important to remember that. Uh, in addition, you know, there is this thing that, you know, we've this has come up in a few other disappearances that we've covered. What I would call women playing with fire. And I realize men are not supposed to harm women. Men are not supposed to be, abuse women. But here's what we know. Men, there are men out there who do this. And she was talking to her boyfriend while Isaac was there. It's probably not a good choice, not saying she deserved any of this. But this was certainly the instigation, as was put in the article. The prosecutor himself or herself said so, that she made Isaac jealous by talking to her boyfriend while he's sitting right there. Now, I don't know if you can exactly predict as a woman doing that, that you're going to get murdered or, you know, cause your, you know, a disappearance to happen. But that is a very poor choice. Uh, I, I don't know what was going on there. But the, the other point is that um, even with an ankle monitor on Isaac and knowing that right after being at Unique's place that he went into the woods, you know, how, how big of the woods can Washington, D.C. be? I don't know. But even with this ankle monitor, being able to track him, and going to the spots that he went to after he was at Unique's place, they've still not been able to find Unique. This all goes back to Mar Murray's disappearance, Jason Landry's disappearance, and a bunch of others. This is how tough it is to find people. Even though when you know where the killer went right after being at the victim's house and the victim isn't there, they went in there and still have not found her. Very very difficult. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if we're supposed to believe what Isaac said about, well, I got her and nobody's going to find her. I, you know, I don't know if we're supposed to believe that or not. Maybe to this point, well, he's going to jail. So I guess it didn't work, but maybe wherever he put her, he, he's just gotten lucky. They just haven't gone to that spot yet. I, I don't know what to make of it, but this just shows you that searches are a lot tougher than anybody could imagine. Um, it also leads me to believe, though, that I'm not convinced that Isaac showed up that night planning to kill Unique. I mean, he knows he has an ankle monitor on. He knows he's being tracked. So I think that this is why this was first-degree murder. Or it was secondary instead of first-degree. Um, it seems to me that the, uh, the prosecution believed that he showed up there certainly a bad guy anyway but probably if she hadn't called her boyfriend and wasn't on the phone with him everything probably unique is still alive i think that that's why it was second degree murder and not first degree murder that's how i would uh, look at it so um is unique harris ever going to be found Probably going to take some luck, just like I stated with Mara Murray. No matter what um, you may think happened um, with Mara Murray and many of the other, is is probably going to take a little luck 
to find Unique Harris. If they've gone out there and looked, they've gone to the spots where it seemed Isaac Moy was, and she's not there. And I think that if they had any records of him calling anybody, texting anybody, even using her phone or anything, that you would have looked into this. Maybe he met up with somebody. Well, nobody else was on trial. So I'm not sure what to think on this. Uh, did he put her in a trash can somewhere and knowing that he was being monitored, went into the woods to mislead investigators? thinking that, you know what, if I do get charged with this, at least they won't find her body. Maybe, maybe he was thinking that far ahead. Maybe. I don't know. What's everybody saying? Um, Charlotte, Ed, do you think that more missing persons cases would be solved if their family and friends would be more honest about the disappearance? I, I will answer that. Charlotte, I have your other question that I want to answer as well. Um, hopefully I can come back to that before the end, Charlotte. Do not let me forget that. Everything what's going on, Kathy. She knew Isaac for two months and let him in at 10.30, 9 a.m. He, he mutilated the sofa, took some foam out. So you, Kathy has obviously really gotten into uh, the details. And these were things that were um, Valencia did not bring up, but I think that she knew them in the interview. Uh, 10.39 p.m. All right, Kathy correcting herself. Yeah, second degree, Kathy says, Marty, for Mara, I think you're going to need luck and access to private property. She could be anywhere in those woods. It's certainly true. And everything, hi to you once again. Hi, all and Ed. All and Ed, I love that. So this is a trial that we've been looking, I wouldn't say we've been looking forward to. We've been anticipating it. It's been a long time coming. Coming, obviously, COVID probably had something to do with that. And now it came and went and Isaac Moy is going to jail, but unique is still missing. All right, moving on. Charlotte, I'm going to answer um, your first question right now. And uh, once again, I, you know, I've made my, my theory, although it's very, very general, uh, about Mara Murray, but uh, I will answer this uh, question regarding Mara Murray. And if Mara Murray harmed herself, what do you think is the reason the remains have not haven't been found yet? Also, their remains found a while back, and the authorities said they were very old. That's true. We didn't get into that with Julie. With the mistakes made in some cases where remains have been said to not be a certain person, then later come out and say they were wrong, and it was the person originally thought them to be, do you think they could have been wrong and the remains could have been Mara? Uh, my understanding of that, Charlotte, is that those remains, when we say uh, you're kind of understating how old they were, when we say they were old, that doesn't mean that they were from like the 1980s or the 1970s. I think that they determined those remains, you know, were back from like colonial times or something. I mean, people are human. You know, everybody makes mistakes. This seems to be, it would have been an overtly egregious one. Uh, Charlotte, and in addition, given all the attention that have been put on Mara's disappearance for so long, you would think that they would want to dot all their I's and cross all their T's to make sure they don't mess it up. So I'm going to pick that they were right, that those remains are not hers and that they're very, 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 very old. And when it comes back to what you said about uh, with mistakes made in some cases, remains have been said not to be a certain person. 
and then Lana come out later and say that they were wrong. And I actually have a story like that that I hope to get to before we're done. I think you just have to remember, not just for Charlotte, but for everybody, that mistakes are made. As long as humans are involved, mistakes are made. And even when machines are involved, mistakes are made. Um, I, I continue to believe that these types of mistakes and things are rare. They certainly happen. And it seems like they happen a lot. But why do they seem like they happen a lot? Because there's a lot of crimes and disappearances and murders that happen. So you have all these incidents where you have to check bones, you have to check DNA and, and forensics of all types, fingerprints and everything. That ups to, you know what, let's just say a million incidents. Well, even if humans combined with machines are right 99.99% of the time, that still leaves a significant number where mistakes are going to be made. So mistakes are getting made, and it may seem like a lot, but compared to the overall incidents, murders, crimes, and everything, you know, we're never going to get to perfection. So I'm not convinced this happens percentage-wise that often. It just seems like it's a lot because it's a big number, but it's a very, 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 very small number compared to everything as a whole. Uh, okay, Charlotte, uh, I agree, Marty. Some lessons can be learned from Brandon Lawson's disappearance. All the time, that time he was right there in private property and took the right person getting permission to search for him to be located. Shri, thank you for making that very, very good point. And, um, you know, this has happened before in some other disappearances. And then people just miss things like Eric. I, it's another disappearance, even though we didn't cover it on Found. That would be Eric Pratt, P-R-A-C-H-T from Colorado. They went out and did a search, didn't find anything. A couple of years later, they went and did a search in the exact same area, found them. Why? I don't know. I wasn't there. But that's what happened. So, um, um, this is just, just the way it is. And I don't think that it's ever going to change. We can certainly get better at searches. We can have a better understanding of them. I think more people, especially the public who don't take an interest in true crime so much, don't take an interest in disappearances, certainly they can be educated about searches and saying and you know, making sure they understand that searches are very imperfect. Where I think the public perception is that, well, they went and searched for that person in the woods. Nothing was found. That person mustn't be there. No, all it means is that the person hasn't been found yet. So there's some education that needs to happen. <clears throat> um, Rockford says, I agree with the difficulty in finding her if she's in the woods. Tyler Davis went missing in an office park, but a man couldn't be found a block from where he was last seen. Searches aren't easy. True. I think, uh, the only, you know, Tyler Davis, of course, he has not uh, been found yet. That is a disappearance. Would love to to cover that disappearance sometime. If anybody knows, I know that he was married, but some people are very suspicious of his wife, and I'm not getting in get too deep into that. But if anybody knows anybody in Tyler Davis's family who can be trusted, I'd love to talk to that person. They can the person can email me at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. As for Bo Man Rockford, I think you make a very good point. You know, and I haven't talked to his mother you know, in a few weeks, 
you know, we still don't know what the cause of death is or anything. And of course there's, I guess there's still that possibility. His body really wasn't there that whole time, but certainly I don't think anybody could have predicted that he would be found right down the street, you know, his body found on a piece of concrete. I don't who, uh, and this is what makes disappearances so difficult. Coffee. Yes. Yeah, sometimes there are lots of trees and a small person by comparison. That's right. The human body's not that big. I mean, you know, it to admit that, you know, the largest land animal, what is an elephant? You know, some of these places where these people have gone missing, you could put a dead elephant in some of these woods and maybe people would miss it. Of course, the largest land animal is what the blue whale or something. You could put a blue whale out there in some of these huge masses of woods and everything in the United States and do a search. And maybe it wouldn't be found either. Of course, deterioration and everything else. This is how we have to think about these things. Shri says, sometimes property owners don't even know. Can't always assume law enforcement is asked to search. True. Rockford says his wife has done some good interviews. I don't know why she isn't trusted. I think she's a victim too of the case and the online rumor mill. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. Rockford. Thank you, Charlotte. I've always wondered what happened to Tyler Davis, Charlotte Rockford, but it's such a strange disappearance. It is Marty. That's where I really don't think Mara will be found if she is on private property and the owners are not willing to let people inspect their land over and over again. It's going to be nearly impossible. Just have to hope for something good to happen. Marty. Uh, you heard the interview that I did uh, with Julie. She says most private landowners have been cooperative, but all it takes is one non-cooperative one. That's the tough part. All right, and Charlotte, once again, don't let me forget uh, your other question. Maybe let me know it about uh, maybe when we have about 15 minutes to go. All right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about... Emanuela Orlandi. And you should know that while I was doing some work today, I do have Netflix and I was watching the series um, on her disappearance. Uh, this uh, young woman, this girl who went missing uh, from Vatican City way back in the 1980s and all of the stuff surrounding it. It's a four episode series. I got through two episodes and a little bit of the third, and I just couldn't take any more of it, and I'll explain to it. So, But it's back in the news because it's been 40 years now. It's a renewed effort. They're taking another look at the investigation. You know what police say. Not just the United States, but in Italy, too, when such things happen. Allow me to read this. Pope Francis on Sunday, so yesterday, offered prayers and solidarity to the family of Vatican schoolgirl uh, a Vatican schoolgirl who went missing 40 years ago in one of Italy's most enduring mysteries. Emanuela Orlandi, the 15-year-old daughter of a Vatican usher, failed to return home on June 22, 1983, after a music lesson in central Rome. The case has drawn renewed worldwide attention following the release of the Netflix, Netflix series Vatican Girl late last year. And like I said, I did not watch it until today. Referring to the 40th anniversary of the disappearance, Francis said he wanted to express once again my closeness to her family, especially her mother, assuring my prayers, delivering his angelus message. Francis addressed crowds in St. Peter's Square, including Orlandi's brother, Pietro, who has long campaigned for the Vatican to shed light on the mystery. 
Pietro Orlandi was standing with a group of supporters holding up photographs and banners that called for truth and justice. He welcomed the Pope's, re- Pope's remarks, marks, calling them a positive signal and a good step forward. In commands to Italian news agency ANSA. Foul play has long been suspected in the Orlandi case, and this year both Vatican and Italian investigators have reopened investigations into it with possible new leads. Theories about Orlandi's disappearance have run the gamut from speculation it was linked to a plot to kill Pope John Paul II to suggestions that she was kidnapped by the Rome underworld to accusations she was the victim of a priestly pedophile group. Earlier this year, Pietro Orlandi played an audio tape on Italian TV from alleged gangster who said girls were brought into the Vatican to be molested and that John Paul II, so we're talking about the Pope from the 1980s, uh, the one that was shot, uh, knew about it. In April, Pope Francis called the allegations offensive and unfounded. So if you don't know uh, about this disappearance, I'm just going to read what Wikipedia had to say. Orlandi usually traveled by bus to the music school located in the Piazza de Sant'Apollinaire. I'm not, don't speak Italian. She would get off after a few stops and walk in the last few hundred meters. Upon leaving home around 4 p.m. on June 22nd, 83, 1983, Orlandi was set late to class and the weather was extremely hot. She asked Pietro to drive her, but he had other commitments. I've done it over many, so many times, telling myself, I've gone over it so many times, telling myself it only had I accompanied her, maybe it wouldn't have happened. At the end of the class, Orlandi phoned home and explained to her sister Federica that before the lesson, she had received a job offer from a representative of Avon Products to hand out flyers at a fashion show for 370,000 lira, which was uh, around 590 euros for two hours. Federica, I don't know how much money that is in today's dollars. Federica, it sounds like a lot. Federica told her not to accept the offer, believing the compensation to be excessive and thus unreliable, and suggested discussing the matter with her parents first. While leaving school, Orlandi spoke of the job offer with two female classmates, who then left her at the bus stop in Corso Racinamento in front of Palazzo Madama. I know I'm killing these words. She was last seen at 7.30 p.m. at the bus stop in the company of another girl who was never identified. Later that night, after hours of waiting, Orlandi's family began to worry and started looking for her in an area between the Vatican and the music school. They called the director of the music school to ask if any of their daughter's classmates had any information about her. Her father then went to the police to report her as missing, but they assumed she was with friends that suggested waiting Orlandi was officially declared missing the next morning. Over the next two days, announcements of her disappearance were published in the Italian newspapers El Tempo, Piacera, and Il Messaggero. And so um, during, and then moving on, during the Angelus of July 3rd, so this is going back to that time, Pope John Paul II issued an appeal to those responsible for Orlandi's disappearance making the hypothesis of kidnapping official for the first time. Two days later, the Orlandi family received the first of a number of phone calls made by an anonymous anonymous male with an American accent. And it should be known he was speaking Italian with an American accent, not speaking English with an Italian accent. He was speaking Italian with an American accent. 
who would later be called the American. The man claimed to be calling on behalf of a terrorist organization that was holding Emanuela Orlandi prisoner and demanding the release of Mahat Ali Adja, the Turkish man who shot the Pope in May 1981. As proof, the American played a recording of Orlandi's voice over the phone. The anonymous caller also mentioned Mario and Pierluigi of the previous phone calls, identifying them as members of the organization. Despite decades of investigations, the real identity of, quote-unquote, the American has never been discovered. Okay. Um, maybe some of you uh, ha- are, are familiar with this. I've known about this, but I have to admit this is the first time, despite it being a well-known disappearance, that I've ever read anything about it. And like I said today, I watched a couple of that those episodes, and it got a little bit into th- episode number three. I think there's four episodes. And I just had had enough. Uh, let me read what everybody is uh, saying here. Um, Marty, people are cooperative to a point. And Charlotte says, I've heard of that case. All right. So uh, Charlotte says she's heard of this. Here's what I think I know. So one of the popular theories out there is she was kidnapped, as I just read, to get this assassin out of jail. This guy who saw shot. So he shoots the Pope. In 1981, in 1983, Amenuela disappears. And there's thinking, because of these calls and everything, that this is, an, this is an attempt to get this assassin out of jail. I totally think that's crap. If this was, if this was some group or some mafia group, or they talk about this Turkey group or from Bulgaria or wherever. And we have to remember this is all back in the time of the Soviet Union, the Soviet bloc countries, Czechoslovakia and the rest of them. These guys being criminals would know that the kidnapping of one girl is not going to affect anything. There is no way that Italy where the Vatican is going to let that assassin go because they're going to be extorted over the kidnapping of one girl. Now, I know that. I am not a criminal. Uh, I'm a fine, upstanding citizen of the United States. And uh, even I know there is no way that you're going to get an assassin out of jail by kidnapping a girl and trying to extort a government to do it. In fact, it would probably have to take 100 kidnapped children to do that, not one. This is why I totally, totally don't believe any of this. It's just, it just doesn't, it's, I mean, it's crazy. In addition, you should know that this assassin, we have to remember, he's an assassin, but John Paul II did not die. He was Pope for many, many years after this. That, to me, watching this series, watching what this assassin had to say and how he was just spouting all this stuff, this is no different than what we hear in the United States in the 21st century regarding disappearances. Somebody's in jail, they hear about a disappearance, and they want to get out of jail for a day, and they know that the police will pay for a nice, nice lunch. So they come up with some idea. You know, a couple years ago, now that I just came to me, I heard about this disappearance, and my cellmate at the time told me this, and I want to talk to an investigator. This is happening all the time, and we know it's usually crap. 99.9% of the time, it's all crap. Not 100%, but 
overwhelmingly, this stuff never goes anywhere. So this assassin of John Paul II uh, just strikes me as that type of person. He's just throwing stuff out there. We could think of it as, uh, another way. Going back to kind of that same time, Ronald Reagan shot just a couple months after he became president. Uh, he was shot by John Hinckley. Does anybody really believe that if some girl in Washington, D.C. had been kidnapped, a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old was kidnapped, and then it came out, well, if you let John Hinckley, where would he have been? I think he went to like a, a mental institution or something. If you let him out, we'll you know, let this girl go back to her family. Does anybody really believe the American government would have gone along with that? Of course not. Now, I realize I think John Hinckley, I think, has been let out of jail, but it's been 40 years and everything, but certainly not back at that time. Nobody could really, really believe this. Nobody would really come up with this plan. You know, we really want to get this assassin out of here, out, out. So we're going to kidnap just some random girl who works at the Vat, whose family works at the Vatican. And they surely, anybody who would think about that would probably get caught in about a day. But here we are 40 years later and nobody is clear what happened. It's clear to me. I mean, once again, easier for me to talk. It's clear to me that she was abducted by a predator. This is what happens. I mean, what do we think this whole Avon thing was about? You know, we have to remember she was going, she had this set schedule where she went for these music lessons every day. This is very important in disappearances. We know how many kids get kidnapped. Why? Because they go to the bus stop, they walk to school and everything else. They have this constant thing every day. And it's very easy for predators to figure that out. And it, so it would not be a surprise to me that this predator had been stalking her for a while. And then on that day, you know, he comes up with this idea. And the thing about it is, as you can tell, Emanuela was intrigued by it. How do we know? She talked to her mother about it. She talked to her friends about it. This was still on her mind after she got out of school. And so it very well may be that the guy said, you know what? Oh, you got to go to class. If you're still interested, why don't you come see me? I'm, I'm right down here or something. This is what happened. All of this other stuff about the mafia and everything else, I discount. And there's so many con artists out there. You know, this is much more, I think maybe it's much more obvious now than it was back in 1983. I mean, how many guests have I spoken to where, you know, they've been caught up? You know, your daughter is being sold on the dark web. And if you send me $5,000, I can buy her and get her back to you. This is happening all the time. We don't talk about it in official interviews because I do not want to give these that kind of stuff attention because my belief is only cause, causes more of it to happen. This is happening all the time, but this version, this American calling up and everything, that's all it is, a bunch of scam artists. And this is eventually why I couldn't take the series anymore. Do not all of you see that this is all just crap? The mafia and everything else. Do you not see that? 
And although I will, you know, there's another girl who went missing like 40 days before this, not really the same circumstances, but I could perfectly believe that the same sexual predator, sex molester, child killer caused both of these. And it had nothing to do with a mafia or Bulgaria or the assassination of the Pope or anything else. It just is crazy. Granted, it makes good TV. It makes good Netflix. But this is what I hate so much about so much true crime coverage. Some producer, you know, putting this show together, more than happy to go along with anybody who was wanted to say anything about any of this. This is what sucks about so much true crime coverage. They're willing to put anybody on camera. And the problem is, is when you put people on camera, they'll say anything. They'll say anything to get attention. So I just think that the Avon thing was a test. And that this predator saw that Emanuela, it caught Emanuela's attention. He knew that she was ripe for the taking. He knew it. And probably the reason we don't have many stories after Emanuela's disappearance like this is probably because it, it got so much attention that this sexual predator couldn't work in that area anymore. And we can't discount the idea. He might have even gone to another country and started doing this all over again to France, to Albania, to Germany, to, work, to somewhere else. We can't discount that. But I certainly don't believe that this was some huge conspiracy and, you know, and everything else. I mean, you know, they, they were calling up and playing what sounded like was the torturing of a woman, but they fi- finally figured out it was like a porno tape, of the recording of a porno tape instead. So, um, but I do want to read you, um, you know, and I have it in here. This is no different than when... Um, for example, when something happens here in the United States, like for example, when there's some natural gas explosion, you know, some pipe has a crack in it, somebody lights a match in an explosion. And unfortunately, very sadly, people, some people get killed. What happens? Some terrorist group comes out of the woodwork saying we did it. You know why they did it? They love the attention. They're terrorists. They love to cause terror in people. But they surely did not cause that natural gas explosion. This is kind of the same thing. This disappearance happens and people see it as a way to uh, gain favor, maybe with the police, maybe get some street cred, everything else. Or just because they're a bunch of idiots and they just, once again, just cause problems for people. Or, you know, for money or something else. But none of these people surely had Emanuela. Surely not. Now, I will read you the disappearance of the um, the other girl. Morella Gregon, Gregoni, I'm sorry, born 7 of October 1967, mysteriously disappeared from Rome on May 7th, 1983, about 40 days before the disappearance of Emanuela Orlandi, a citizen of Vatican City, both vanishings are unsolved as of this day. Both Gregory and Orlandi cases led to the Grey Wolves, an extremist Turkish group, claiming to be involved in the abductions and demanding the release of the assassin, 
He shot Pope John Paul II on May 13th, 1981. And the circumstances of the Gregory disappearance is that she left her house house after receiving an apparent call from a classmate called, quote-unquote, Alessandro. She then told her mother she would meet with a classmate outside and we'd be back in 10 minutes. This was the last time she was seen. To me, as a guy who does this for a living, those circumstances for her disappearance and Manuela's disappearance sound kind of similar. And I could be believed that the same predator was involved easily. And it, it just sounds to me, of course, let's, let's be clear about something. This girl, the second girl, um, Morella, M-I-R-E-L-L-L-A, was lying to her, her mother. There was not a classmate waiting. It was somebody else. Probably, once again, somebody promising her money, promising her this, promising her that. And she couldn't tell her mother that. Why? Because her mother would say, don't you leave this house at all. So she lies. Makes all the sense in the world. In fact, this disappearance reminds me a lot of uh, Dominic Holly Grisham's who got a phone call and he left never to be seen again. And he surely was lured out of his house in Rochester, New York. Surely, I believe, because he broke up with this girl and said a couple nasty things about her and some guys who knew the girl wanted revenge. I still believe that. So... I just wanted to read about this. These are uh, two well-known disappearances, um, at least in Italy. And uh, like I said, watching this series, it's just so crazy. I can see it's certainly entertaining. It's certainly interesting, but you know that is not how I gauge things. When I watch something like that, I want to think that these people actually did some background work and, and everything else. But watching that, whoever put that show together must think the viewers are idiots. Unfortunately, too many people will buy into this. It's exasperating. It just is. Um, let me um, read some of these things. And once again, um, or Emanuela Orlandi, O-R-L-A-N-D-I. That's not going to be on the Charlie Project because it's in Italy. But there is an extensive Wikipedia page if you'd like to go there uh, on Emanuela's disappearance. And like I said, there's this series. If you have Netflix, you feel like watching it. If you can stomach it, give it a shot. Um, uh, everything says inside job, apparently, I think, Ed. Okay. Charlotte, I think they are wrong about the motive. Coffee like J.C. Dugard. Uh, everything says sounds spot on, Ed. Um, Valerie says I'm here listening. Hit the hit like uh, the heart button. Yes, everybody. Before we're done, we've got 34 minutes to go. You can still hit the thumbs up, buddy, button for this video. So maybe think about doing that. So I wanted to comment on that. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if I'll ever really get to do anything more than that on that disappearance, but um, maybe. Let me uh, just check something uh, very quickly here. Hold on just one second, everybody. 
Okay. Next thing I want to talk about, um, I'm going to be making the next found episode available to everyone. This is something that I started in March. I started out with Brandon Lawson uh, in April. It was Elizabeth Smart. In May, it was J.C. Dugard. Well, um, the, the found series is from disappearance to discovery, where I look at disappearances that occurred. And then they were solved, and why did all of it happen? And you'll just have to believe me, but I had planned months ago that for June I was going to do the disappearance of the Titanic. Of course, this is well before the submersible thing ever happened. Uh, But in light of the submersible tragedy, disaster, incident, implosion happening – I'm going to make uh, this next found uh, episode, which probably is going to come out tomorrow, available to everyone. And I'm hoping that you will listen it to it. I'm hoping that you it will entice you to become a supporter of this channel. I'm hoping it will entice you to see all the good things we're doing over at Patreon. You get a lot for your money over there. And so um, you'll get to see one more thing that we're doing behind a paywall at Patreon and on here on YouTube. And what I do with the Titanic is I cover it like any other disappearance. Why did it go missing? What were the, what was the major factor and all the contributing factors? I then look at why it was missing for so long. And I read some articles that were written over the time uh, about the Titanic, about finding it, about raising it and everything else. And then I move up to when it was found. I was wrong last week. It was found in 1985, but actually wasn't charted in everything till 1986. That's where I got confused. But then we move up to 1985. And what were the circumstances of it being found? What was the, the major factor in it being found? And then what were all the contributing factors? And this runs about an hour. And I do take some time out to read some articles and everything. So this is probably a different kind of coverage of the Titanic than probably you will ever experience. And that's one more reason I I decided, you know what, I'm going to make this one public. You know, all the submersible stuff going on. And given that there are so many people who have watched or listened to a lot of things about the Titanic, but it's always about that night, about why it sank why the people, you know, all this in the investigation and everything. Whereas I'm looking at it from a disappearance point of view because the the Titanic did disappear. And it was missing for 73 years. The, the Of course, the unique thing about it is everybody had a general idea where it was, except it still wasn't found for 73 years, which to me as a guy who studies disappearances – is very interesting to me. So you get to hear about the the tragedy, the disaster of the Titanic being looked at in a different way. So I hope you enjoy it. And like I said, I think it'll be coming out tomorrow, probably later in the day. And I'm hoping that some of you uh, will cause you to join this channel, hitting the button below the join button and becoming Patreon supporters so be looking for that um sometime hopefully later tomorrow i do have a conversation uh 
uh, tomorrow night on Zoom. Not an interview, but a first conversation with a couple people tomorrow night. So we'll see how it all works out. But I just wanted to tell you uh, about that. Marty says, I'm sure it'll be amazing. Found has been a great series so far. Absolutely love it. Marty, uh, thank you very much. And like I said, Ivar already have the next several found episodes planned. These are all disappearances that were eventually solved. All right, very important. From dis- disappearance to discovery. This is what the, the series found is. All right, moving on. I want to read about this uh, disappearance uh, that happened in Texas. And it has been solved very sadly, but it's very recent. And we get to follow kind of the step-by-step of this. And this once again shows why disappearances can be so difficult. And it was somebody who posted this in the group that caught my attention. And um, this is what led me to include it in tonight's live show. Uh, My brother Preston Smith is missing. On the evening of June 19th, so just a week ago, around 6.30 p.m., Preston told his roommates in Austin, Texas, that he was driving up to Dallas to be with family. He never made it. His phone is turned off. No one has had any contact with him since Monday. No one knows where he is and or what happened to him. He was last seen wearing a black shirt and dark jeans. He is driving a white 2017 Subaru Forester with stickers on the right rear window and back. We're extremely worried about him and ask that if you have any information that could be helpful to please contact us. Uh, Please keep your eyes out for his car while driving. It's possible he might have gotten lost somewhere on the route uh, as he was driving without GPS. Please keep him in your prayers that we will be able to find him, that he will be safe and okay. So that was the original post by a brother of Preston Smith. Next posting. Update. On June 24th. So that was June 19th. We now move up to June 24th, just a couple of days ago. We want to thank everyone who has kept an eye out for Preston, giving, given tips, shared posts, prayed for us, and offered support. Yesterday, we were hopeful that we would find him. Unfortunately, our search left us with more unanswered questions. Here was what we know. On Saturday, June 17th, Preston appeared to be experiencing some symptoms of psychosis. Preston has no prior history of mental illness. On Monday, June 19th, Preston told his roommates in Austin that he was going to Dallas to be with his family. His roommates told us his phone was inoperable. Later that night, Preston crashed and abandoned his vehicle in a rural area of Seagoville or Seagoville. Police did not locate his vehicle until Thursday, June 22nd. Prior to his crash, he approached a random house in Seagoville in a very altered mental state requesting to use their phone. When his request was denied, he fired a shot that thankfully did not harm anyone. After viewing, reviewing the footage, uh, Seagoville Police Department told us they believe his shot was out of frustration and did not intend to harm and a warrant has been issued for his arrest. We want to be clear that Preston is armed and should not be approached. Please contact local police immediately if you see him. 
We are completely heartsick and broken over the news, and our efforts to locate him have intensified. Please help us keep both the community and Preston safe. He urgently needs help. It's possible he's still in Siagoville. He's possible he may be traveling north to Denison. He is suffering mentally. Please keep looking for him. Keep sharing. If he is alive, we believe he will be found through shares as someone recognizes him. All right, so that was the second posting, by the way, once again from Preston's brother. And so we now move up to yesterday. The update is, excuse me, his body has been found. After what our family can only describe as a series of miracles and direct answer to prayer, we found Preston's body through our search efforts, our own search efforts, in a heavily wooded area in Segoville, half a mile from his crash site earlier this morning after two days of searching. Although this was the worst possible outcome, we are grateful that we will be able to lay his body and our minds to rest it is both a tender mercy and miracle that we, we were able to find him and that we don't have to wonder where he went or what happened to him. We are shattered, broken, and grieving the loss of our brother. It fears, feels unfathomable that we will be spending a lifetime without him. We express thanks to anyone who fasted, prayed, shared our posts, and helped us in our search. We felt your faith, your love, and your prayers. We love you so much, Preston. We moved heaven and earth until we found you. Rest in peace, sweet brother, until we meet again. The reason I wanted to read about this is that as you read, if we are to believe this, and we know sometimes, you know, family holds back on certain things. When it comes to mental illness, addictions, criminal past, things like that. There we have Preston Smith, seems like a good guy. At least it says that he had no history of mental illness. But then here he is going up to somebody's house, banging on the door. They wouldn't let him use the phone. He fires a gun off. And I'm guessing we probably should think that the conclusion to this is that he ended up shooting himself. So here he was. Just a couple weeks ago, seemingly a guy with no addictions and no mental health issues or anything else. And a couple weeks later, he's banging on a, a person's house, you know, shooting a gun into the air or something, frustrated. And then he goes missing. And probably, I, I'm guessing, he actually shot himself. This is what makes disappearances so difficult. Um. You know, I'd love, you know, here we are. We got about 22 minutes left in this live show. You know, if you could, you know, some of you, I'd love to hear your opinions on this. What exactly is going on here? You know, what is going on? It seems that we have a lot of this going on. You know, I'll just stick to my country, the United States. People seemingly fine and then walking off, banging on doors, running off into the woods Seemingly people who had had no issues before, and then suddenly they're doing things that nobody thought they could ever do. If anybody wants to give any insights to any of this, feel free to put it in the chat. Of course, when I think about this, I mean, I, we could go on and on about disappearances that seem like this from Unfound Zone Catalog. Jason Landry, Mara Murray. Chris Sanders, remember, that's a Texas disappearance, coincidentally, that if we're to believe it, he's with other guys he's working with. He goes out to his truck. He gets something out of the truck. The alarm is blaring, blaring, blaring. He leaves the driver's door open and starts walking down the road, 
never to in Monahan's Texas, never to be seen again. Greg Brooks. Now he did seemingly have a history of mental illness or bipolar disorder, but it seemed to be doing fine. And then all of a sudden his car is not in the Orlando area anymore. It's over here in the, what we might call the East Tampa area. Could we even equate Tom Brown to this? Could this be what actually happened to Tom Brown? Did he lose his mind somehow that night and his friends didn't realize it? And he was able to keep it under control until they weren't around anymore. Should we be that open to to something like this? Now, what also caught my eye regarding this is you'll notice is that there was the family searching who found him. I'm going to keep saying it to everybody out there. Anybody wants to listen. If you're going to find your missing family member, no matter it happened last week or last year or last century, you're probably going to have to go out there and do it yourself. Hopefully you can get a lot of people together, but you're going to have to organize it. Uh, It's just, if you're expecting others to do it, if you're expecting the police to do it or whatever, good luck with that. I'm glad that this family in particular understood the importance that they needed to get out there and do this. And I know it's a bittersweet ending, but um, this is what they wanted. They were out there for a reason. It's not, uh, you know, it's this, this, like I said, it's not necessarily the one. They wanted him to be alive, of course, but they were out there to find him and they did so. But also what catches my eye about this is that he was only, despite this being a disappearance for like a week and despite him banging on the door and shooting the gun and everything, he was found only a half, half mile from where the car wreck was, where he wrecked his Subaru. This, this kind of distance thing continues to come up. I know that the exception seems to be Tom Brown's, but with these other disappearances like Crystal uh, Morrison and Robbie Hurt and, and some others, it's amazing how close these people are found to where they were last seen. And this is why, even with Jason Landry, I continue to believe that, despite all the searches that were done. Mara Murray, same thing. I continue to believe she's just within a couple miles. I personally believe that she went off into the woods and and died uh, on her own. I continue to believe that she's just within a couple miles of where she wrecked her car. Chris Sanders could easily could be the same thing. I mean, as we were stating earlier in this live show, if Bowman... As much attention was given to his disappearance and people going down there and talking to everybody, if he could disappear and only be a quarter mile away in a, in a very, very urban area, then anything's possible. Anything is possible. But what worries me the most is that, you know, is this, is this, uh, fallout from COVID, people being cooped up for so long, and maybe some of them, you know, we as humans, we are social creatures. Granted, some of them, um, um, you know, people are introverted. I'm certainly a person who can go without days, without being in the in the presence of any other humans. I'm totally fine with it. 
but we as a species, as animals, are social creatures. You know, did something go on there? Um, I wonder. I really, really wonder. Um, let's see what everybody's saying. Um, Marty says, driving without GPS in this day and age, almost unheard of. True. Uh, Veronica, hello, uh, Ed, and lovely chat. I'm enjoying being with you guys. Hello, Veronica. We're enjoying being with you, too. What's going on, Veronica? Look at you with the little emoji with the little hearts and everything. I love it. Good choice, Veronica. Charlotte, I think it'd be anxiety or drug or alcohol usage or a complete mental breakdown. Kathy, drugs could be involved. Sounds like he committed suicide at the end. I, I agree with you, Kathy. Marty, sounds like there's a lot more going on than the family's letting on. Could have been a breakdown, but there has to be something that pushed him or if he was into drugs, could be a bad trip. Spleen, girl, where you been, Spleen? What's going on? Hello, I've been in family in town. Could not log in earlier. That's okay. Uh, you got in before the end, Spleen. Charlotte, I also think that the stress of everyday life in this road could be a factor in mental health problems. Rockford says, I have a bit of a contrarian view here. I don't mean to minimize anyone's mental health problems. This is statistically very rare. When cases like this occur, the media blasts it all over. You know, I, I, I don't know, Rockford. Um, you know, the statistics on uh, mental health in the United States continue to get worse and worse and worse. And so my guess is that as the statistics, once again, regarding people who are getting therapy, people who are taking some sort of mental health medicine, whether it's for bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, it's, I mean, it is so much higher than it was like when I was born in 1970. I am sure in 1970, medical professionals could have never predicted what would be going on now with the suicide rate, the mental health rate, the addiction rate. And I'm inclined to believe that all of these rates going up has made this much more and more common. Now, I think a lot of times maybe these people are found alive, that they don't commit suicide or something. And that, of course, that's good. Maybe they can get the help they need. But... You know, I got to tell you, the statistics say that there's a lot of this going on. Uh, certainly, that does get a lot of media attention. Really, I don't know what kind of media attention. Everything I just read there was from a family member. I don't know if there was any reporting or anything uh, for this. Maybe there was. I don't know. All I was reading from posts that uh, the brother made on Facebook that somebody then posted in the discussion group, and it caught my eye. Mark, my great uncle was shot down during World War II in 1943. No remains or the aircraft was ever found. Last week, the military contacted my uncle asking for a DNA sample because they had relocated new remains. Look at you, Mark. What a fascinating story. Oh, my gosh. Your great uncle got shot down in World War II. Was he, um, you know, um, was he like in a flying fortress B-17 or what, what was he, uh, in Mark, was he in a P-51? What was going on there? Do you know? Rockford, I'm not a mental health expert, but anecdotally I've seen cases where what would not have been mental health disorders in the past are considered to be now, like the widening of the autism spectrum. Uh, that's true. Mark says uh, a B-24. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Mark. Sorry to hear that, Mark. Um, wow, what a story. Um. So once again, to read Rockford's 
Uh, I'm not a mental health expert, but anecdotally, I've seen cases where there have not been mental disorders in the past are considered to be now like the widening of the autism spectrum. Uh, that's true. Um, but I'm, I, you know, I don't, you know, autism to me, I, I, I don't consider that to be necessarily a mental health. That seems to me some sort of brain, you know, disease, you know, genetic type of thing. Whereas, you know, what we're talking about here is it seems like people who are fine for many, many years, then all of a sudden one day they, they go running off and doing things like this guy's doing. This seems to be much more common now than it was back then. And I, once again, I'm just equating it to, um, I think there's a correlation causation between this and the rise in mental health issues um, and addiction and suicide. Uh, Rockford, Uncle Dom wandering off in the woods in the 70s might have created a stir in the family, but not on CNN. Now it's on everyone's newsfeed when they get on the inter- internet. I guess the issue, though, is did Uncle Don uh, have any uh, you know, issues? Or did he just not feel like living anymore? Mark, the aircraft was named the Exterminator. Don't be sorry. This is amazing news. We all know he's dead. We're just hoping there can now be a body to bury. He died long before I was ever born. Okay. All right. I said that I was going to answer um, Charlotte's question from before. And then I want to go um, – I want to talk about one stat from NamUs. Um, Charlotte, Ed, do you think that more missing persons cases would be solved, that their family and friends would be more honest about the disappearance? I, I think the general answer would have to be yes. I think honesty is always the best policy, Charlotte. I know why they hesitate to do so. Um. Uh, I think that probably if, um, you know, we could go back and, you know, very uh, with detailed work, go through every unfound disappearance uh, that occurred, we might be able to pick out some. They had more things been known about that person at the time of the disappearance, that things could have gone a different way. Sure. Sure. But like I said, on the other hand, I, I understand why they don't. Um, the reason that I'm able to get people, you know, for example, as mothers of missing adult children to talk about their sons and daughters addictions and, and things is because, um, I explained to them that the reason we talk, and it's true, this is not a pitch, you know, this is true that we have to talk about these things because it could be connected to the disappearance. I'm not talking about it just because we want to dredge up things, things they shouldn't be doing or anything, but we have to present this in an honest way because things about the person could be the cause of the disappearance, and it helps people understand the disappearance more, which means they're more likely to be helpful. And this is also why we really don't um, you know, hit it hard and, and, and everything else. I don't want it to become a 20 minute conversation about how a missing person, you know, got into drugs and everything else. Instead, it's more like a three or four minute conversation and, you know, how it affected the family and what were the person's tendencies because of this. And that's about it. That's how I look at it.
Um, would anyone in the 70s have known if Uncle Don had issues? I don't know. <laughs> it's a very, very general hypothetical case that you're presenting there, Rockford. That's what I'm getting at. As mental health awareness increases, we get more diagnoses, and it gets all gets more attention. Well, I know the suicide rate is up. That's something that, that could easily be tracked back in the 1970s as well, for example. Uh, the addiction rate is up. Of course, there was a lot of talk. That's where the war on drugs came from. You know, the 60s into the 70s, this is something that was charted. Those things are up. So, um, and I don't, I don't know if there's much debate that drug addiction causes people to act strangely and mental health issues can cause people to act strangely and people uh, who are thinking about suicide can make, you know, choices that the rest of us wouldn't. You may be right about the mental health aspect is that, but there's other things, you know, I think the charts on those things and the percentages and the percentage per 100,000 people, the studies that have been done, at least in my lifetime, are fairly accurate. MT, hey, I got stuck working late, so I was able to log into time to give a thumbs up. Thank you. We'll hear a few minutes of the live show. We'll catch up tomorrow in the replay. You do that, MT. Good to, good to see you. I just wanted to go... Um, through one uh, statistic, and then I'll talk about this Friday's disappearance. NamUs right now has 23,300 disappearances on it. And somebody had contacted me, uh, emailed me today or yesterday, and um, just a perception about disappearances, and you know, you'd think there'd be a lot more women. Well, you're probably wondering, what is the breakdown between men and women on NamUs? I don't think we've ever I've ever brought this up in a live show. Of the twenty three thousand three hundred disappearances on Namus, only eighty eight hundred of them are women. So there's roughly eighty eight hundred women listed there, but there are fifteen thousand men on there. The split is that big of a difference. It is not fifty fifty. It is a huge difference, at least on NamUs. If we're to take this as a reputable site, a reputable listing, a reputable, um, uh, you know, if we're going to go to this and really rely on this, is, is this something we can rely on to then make other judgments about disappearances? 23,300 on there, 8,800 are women, 15,000 are men. Now, you might be wondering... I don't. I didn't do a breakdown of miners' uh, coffee. I didn't. I just did men and women. I could certainly anybody can go to Namus and start pressing the buttons and figure that out for themselves. And I may do that myself. I don't know coffee. I didn't do that search. So why is it then? It, is it true that there are more men than women missing? I'm guessing so. But we have to remember, at least in the United States, there are more women than men. So even though there are fewer men in the United States, there's way more disappearances of men. Why? Some reasons, uh, I think, as a guy. First of all, men are many are much more unpredictable. Um, men are much more self-destructive. Men have more mental problems. Men are more likely to have addictions. We're just talking about this with Rockford here in the last few minutes. Men are more likely to have addictions. They're more likely to have mental problems. They're more likely to commit suicide. They're more likely to get in fights. They're more likely to get in gangs. They're more likely to be handling guns. 
on and on and on and on and on. That's why. My opinion. I, I don't know in the general population if the split is really that huge where it's like almost two to one. Um, but I'm not surprised at all that there are way more men dis- male disappearances in the United States than women, given what I think I know about both genders. Certainly the man side type of disappearance for women is common. But as you can see at least from these statistics from NamUs, that um, that's overwhelmed by men going missing for a lot, a lot, a lot of different reasons. I mean, it's startling. I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't think I've ever actually just, and it's very easy to do. All you have to do is hit the female button or the male button, whichever one, and it'll tell you very quickly. Um, very surprised. Very, very surprised. So, um, you know, the next time you're listening to Unfound episode like this Friday, be thinking of that. Um, not surprised at all. It's related to why the smiley face killer is only targeting men. Men do more things that can lead to their own demise. Yes, self-harm. Men live riskier lifestyles. Charlotte, when I first heard about the smiley face killer theory, I believed it, but not anymore. I'm glad I c- could convert you. If I- I'm hoping I had a little bit to do with that conversion, Charlotte. All right, speaking of Friday, let's talk about this disappearance. We're going back to Texas. We've covered so many disappearances in Texas. Maybe that shouldn't be surprising since it is the second most populated state. But as I stated a couple weeks ago, you know, we're kind of going back to the 1970s. Uh, Of course, we had David Wagoner uh, and some others. We're going back to 1976, the bicentennial year, to Houston, Texas to the disappearance of Brian Thomas Vargo. He went missing sometime in early March of 1976, and his niece, Amanda Watkamps, is the guest. Now, the reason it's a little nebulous is because we're just not sure exactly. We're thinking it's March 9th, 1976, but it could be the 8th. It could be the 10th. Brian was in school. And spring break was coming up for the University of Texas. And he had told people, you know what? I'm going to take my car, just me. I'm just going to go for a drive. I want to go see the state of Colorado. I'm going to go up there, check it out. I'll be back. And he had these two roommates who he was very good friends with. But he was going to do this on his own. Something happened, though. And a few days later, he shows up at his mother's house in Houston, and he needs the title for his car. And the story was, is that he was in Colorado, his car broke down, and he came back to Texas to get the title for it. After his mother saw him that day at her house, Brian Vargo was never seen again. Now, some other peculiar things about this is that Although his mother insisted that she filed a a missing persons report when Brian did go missing, nobody could track him down. Um, What the niece has found out, Amanda has found out, is no missing persons report was ever filed. So the missing persons report for Brian went missing in 1976. A missing persons report was not filed until 2021. So 45 years later is when the missing persons report was finally filed. 
In addition, the, this great work that Amanda's been doing, you're going to be so impressed by the work that she's done. Fascinating. She also found out that what Brian didn't tell anybody, including his roommates at the University of Texas, is he had actually quit school right before spring break. So that is this Friday. I don't have a title for this episode yet. I haven't really worked on that. I'll be working on that tomorrow. Nothing's really come to mind yet. But Brian Thomas Vargo disappeared from Houston, Texas, about March 9th of 1976. His niece, uh, niece Amanda Watkamps, is the guest. She does a fascinating interview. It's about a little over two hours long. So you can start looking that up. It is on NamUs now, and it is on the Charlie Project. So you want to read about it, start studying up on it. You can do that. And that's all I have. Um, with Vargo is my dad's surname. Is that right, Charlotte? Wow. He has a brother named Brian. Maybe you're related, Shree. Wow. <laughs> Brian Rockford says, case call Shree. That was quick. That's funny. And I have a brother named Brian. And Vargo was a, uh, a popular name in my hometown of Leechburg, too. That is interesting. Okay. So that's all I have for you tonight. Uh, man, did the time go fast. A lot of great comments, great chat tonight, some good questions, good banter, and everything else. I hope you found a lot of all of this informative. Please go check out my new teachable course, How to Podcast Better Than Anyone. And like I said, sometime tomorrow, I'll be looking for the new found episode. I'm going to make it free for everybody. Anything else? I think that's it. Good night, everyone. And Charlie, please say hi to the boys. For me, I guess they're going to be seeing their grandmother or something, I heard, uh, in Ohio. And, yeah, stay safe, out, stay safe out there. Everybody keep your heads on swivels.